Life's complicated and overwhelming enough, especially for those in mission-driven work. Let's make the journey to health as simple and sustainable as possible. Welcome to the Simply Health Coaching Podcast, where it's about the food and more than the food. It's about individual health and the health of organizations. I'm Lisa Baker, and my vision is a world in which individuals and organizations can be well while doing good. My mission is to give these organizations and individuals the programs, resources, and practices to get there. On this podcast, we'll talk about the food we put in our mouths and everything else that nourishes us or doesn't, with special attention to the opportunities to get healthy for those burning out in mission-driven work. Season one focused mostly on the food we put in our mouths and a few other parts of our lives that can affect our relationship with food. Season two focused on conversations with women experiencing burnout in mission-driven work, conventional and alternative practitioners who support them, and others whose lives intersect with them and their organizations. Please visit the podcast homepage to check out previous episodes. Season three will be a mix of solo episodes and interviews with guests, all focused on finding our way out of burnout and back to health after more than 18 months of the pandemic. Let's get started. Welcome to a special episode of the Simply Health Coaching Podcast. This week, we're taking a trip back to the past, back to when I got a degree in culinary arts. I used it really briefly in my own catering and private chef company, and then I used it a lot longer as the chief cook and bottle washer of my family. I have 25 plus years under my belt as someone who put 20 to 21 meals a week completely from scratch on the table. And I'm always interested to speak with other coaches who support clients in reducing the stress of the kitchen with meal planning skills. Couple quick notes before we get started. Yes, I generally try to keep my episodes bite-sized under 30 minutes. And this one is three times that. But wait, don't skip it just yet. It is full of great advice and information from not one, not two, not three, but four health coaches. This is the audio from the Meal Plan or Not Like a Pro panel discussion that I held with three colleagues, all of whom work on this topic with their clients. And they are Krista Lyons of A Healthy Option, Lisa Dahl of Lisa Dahl Wellness, and Michelle Seidling of Food Experience Unplugged. In the show notes, I'll link up to the earlier episode of my podcast with Lisa, and I'll also link to an interview I did with Michelle on her podcast. And you don't just get the audio this week. Follow the link in the show notes to get the resource document we talk about, which has all of our contact information and links to our giveaways. Reach out to any or all of us who resonate with you on your meal planning journey. And if you're interested in learning the basics of meal planning and home cooking, join me on November 7th as I kick off what I'm calling the kitchen sessions. Even though I'm an empty nester now, I still meal plan and prep for the week. So come into my virtual kitchen and follow along if that's something you're interested in. The link to the first session is in the show notes. First of all, I wanted to introduce this very informal collaborative. We are not a formal collaborative in any sense of the word. <laughs> I did a podcast episode with Lisa Dahl. And while we were talking, we we're just like, oh, we just spoke each other's language. We had so many of the same things that we cover with clients, but from a different perspective. So we thought, how can we collaborate? What can we do? Well, we happen to be a mem uh, both happen to be members of a really cool group called Pepper Lane, and it's a group based out of Massachusetts, but with a, a national 
membership now. Um, and it's a group that really focuses on the needs of mothers slash women in business. And it's a wonderful networking organization. So if you want to check it out, let me know, or maybe Lisa or somebody can post a link to it in the chat. Pepper Lane is the name of it. And so this was the outcome of our podcast episode where we afterwards thought, how can we collaborate? What can we talk about that would be kind of fun to do? So we talked a lot about meal planning. So we thought, oh, we'll pull in some other pepper laners. And Michelle Seedling, uh, Seidling, sorry, Seidling, <laughs> um, did a podcast interview with me, interviewed me. And when we were, when Lisa and I were talking, I'm like, oh, I know one more person I need to bring in on this. So we all have a connection to each other in some way, shape or form from before this. And um, I think at least three of us, if not all four of us, have gone to, uh, got certified as health coaches, most of us at IIN, I believe. So there is that too. So anyway, uh, quick introductions. I'm Lisa Baker. I'm an integrative nutrition health coach based out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I support women burning out in mission-driven work. That's my main focus. And uh, so I'm going to turn it over to Lisa. Hey everyone, welcome. I am Lisa Dahl and I am a non-diet health coach. So I work with women to help them learn how to listen, trust, and respect their bodies so that they can be happy, healthy, and confident at any size. So what that means is that I help women ditch the diet. We remove how to, we remove all structure of weighing food, bodies, measuring food or bodies. And I really help you learn how to remove diet culture and learn to be able to connect with your body so that you make choices that make you feel best. Um, and next is Michelle. Hi everyone, Michelle Seidling. I'm a holistic health coach and instructional psychologist. My mission is to help C-suite executives and military transitioners to develop healthy, sustainable habits for life success. That's a fancy way of saying that I help people develop that mindset to use food in all its forms for life success and to help you to be a better person and be better personally and professionally. I'm also the host of the Food Experience Unplugged podcast, which Lisa was a fabulous guest on. <laughs> 10 out of 10 <laughs> would recommend that podcast, by the way, Food Experience mm -hmm. Unplugged. Make sure you check it out. And uh, that, that's a health and wellness podcast that helps people focus on making the connection between food and life success. And I will turn it over to Krista. Hey everyone, I'm Krista Lyons and I am a nutrition and lifestyle coach and I help midlife women master their metabolisms and uncover their hidden blocks to bust through weight gain, fatigue, stress, um, so that their health is no longer an obstacle to their happiness. That's lovely. Thank you all for being so succinct and uh, very, very clear. And unfortunately, one of our panelists dropped out at the very last minute. We had one more person who was going to participate and she had to withdraw for, for business reasons mostly, which is a good thing, right? She was, she was just saying that she had other things to do that, that were going to be more important to her at this point. So we're sorry to lose her, but there's only four of us, which means you get more time for questions. So we have uh, quite a few people on now. And what I'm gonna do is run a poll and then we're gonna get started. So um, there are four co-hosts, so we won't, we won't be able to, uh, to vote on this, but 
everybody else, here's your poll. How much time do you spend meal planning in an average week? So your choices are what's meal planning? One to 30 minutes, <laughs> 31 to 60 minutes, and at least an hour. Excellent. All right, this is great. One more person. We're almost there. All right, we're gonna go. Six out of seven participants have responded. So seven out of seven, there we go, excellent. So I'm going to end the poll and share. And there we have it. That's really exciting. So we have some people who the, the majority fall in the middle and then we have some who spend more than, more than uh, 30 minutes and some that don't meal plan at all. At least they don't think they do, but they might discover they actually do. All right, so that's where we're gonna get started. And uh, the next question is a speed round. And we're gonna go through really quickly and say, where do you find your recipes? So Lisa, you're up first. I'm gonna say Bon Appetit, Cook's Illustrated, Simply Quinoa, um, Loves and Lemons. And then there's the, always the basic Google search if I'm looking for something that I can't find. and absolutely go from there. Excellent. Krista. I go to Pinterest. Mm -hmm. I love Pinterest because I can go in and I can say, what do I have on hand? I have chicken and asparagus. And so I go in there and I plug those in and a gazillion recipes come up and I'm finding that most of them are made with whole real ingredients. And so then I also know that if the recipe says chicken, I know for myself, I'm going to be buying organic chicken. So I do tweak the recipes for as many organic um, ingredients that I can find, but I go to Pinterest a lot. Mm, good answer. I hadn't even thought about that. I know I'm just a different generation, I think. <laughs> Michelle, how about you? Well, when I make any recipe, I look for those rich, bold flavors and nutrition that, that you would find and expect in any cuisine. For example, if I'm making a pasta bolognese, I would expect to use a lot of garlic and spices and stir in the liquid, not cut corners and some prepackaged product. As such, I look for websites and recipes that really stand out and have that authentic flair to them. My favorites are the Food Network, Loves and Lemons, and Once Upon a Chef. I love those because they take time to look not only at the ingredients, which are wholesome and nourishing, but they also take time to look at that food history and really give an authentic flair to any recipe. Love that answer. Back to you, Lisa. All right. Well, I will say that my recipes come uh, predominantly from my head slash my own cookbook. But recently, I've, uh, I, like I said, I'm now a complete empty nester. I have cleaned everybody out of my house except for the dog. So I get to cook and eat the way I want to. And I've been really digging into uh, plant-based recipes. And for those, I tend to go to Deborah Madison and um, also a cookbook slash website called Oshi Glows. So that's our speed round. And I hope you got some inspiration from there. Uh, the next question is really going to get us started for reals, and it is define meal planning. Michelle, you're up first for this one. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Lisa. Meal planning to me 
Well, literally, it's deciding in advance what you'll eat for a period of time. Typically, people plan for a week, but you could plan for a day, a few days, or even a month. But more importantly, it means taking time, making time to integrate food into your life. I love what leadership expert Stephen Covey says. He talks a lot about sharpening the saw. So in health terms, meal planning is essentially sharpening the saw. You're getting ready to infuse fuel and food into your life. And you're making time to take those ingredients or take those things that really will nourish you and think about what is going to really help you regardless of what you're doing personally or professionally. I will turn it over to, well, Krista. how about Krista? <laughs> so I think meal planning to all of us is probably going to be fairly similar. To me, it's, it's putting together a plan. It's thinking ahead. You know, what are we going to have on a specific day or for a specific meal, which takes, the, you know, the inevitable question, mom, what's for dinner? you know, out of the situation. And so it allows you to, to put together a plan so that you know what to buy at the store, you know what you're preparing and everybody knows what you're eating. So for me, it's just thinking ahead a bit. Great, Lisa, you're up. So I use four words, plan, prep, provision, and protect. Plan for what you're gonna eat, figure out when you're going to be prepping, how to get the food into your house and to protect your time. With those four words, I also use something that I refer to as mindful meal planning, taking into account flexibility, balance, variety, pleasure, and simplicity. And I'm sure we'll start to dig into the nuances, all of that as we move on. So I'm gonna, who's next? I'm next, that's great, thank you. Um, I would agree with everything everyone has said, and I can, I can simplify my concept of meal planning down to one sentence, which is always, and I mean always, cook for more than one meal. So whether you're thinking about doing pre-prep or you're thinking about what you're making tonight, always think ahead. And if I make more of this, what can I do with it later in the week? So we're going to dig into that more for sure. Um, so first, let's talk a little bit about what are the myths of meal planning. And Krista, you're up first for this one. Okay. So for me, what I find a common myth of meal planning is that it has to be a rigid schedule. And so people feel, you know, like, well, I've put together this plan. So that means if Tuesday says chicken and asparagus, you know, we have to, that's what we're going to have. But oftentimes life is fluid, right? And a friend might call and say, Hey, let's go out. Are you free Tuesday? And all of a sudden, you know, you think, oh, well, I've got this plan and I may, I may have paid someone to put it together for me um, and you're trying to stick to it, but life is fluid. And so for me, one of the biggest myths is that you have to stick to it. And to me, you know, going out with your friend is going to feed your body so much as well. And so um, I say, don't, don't put too much stress into it and take the meal planning more with ease. Um, use it as guidance instead of a rigid schedule. Mm, love it. Lisa, what, what are the myths uh, of meal planning? Um, three meals a day, you know, three meals, seven days a week, 21 meals a week. It's overly rigid, overly structured. 
Um, and this is going to be hard to believe coming from somebody who supports health and wellness is that it's very restrictive and an overemphasis on nutritional quality. Trying to figure, you know, it's just, if it's not this, then you have failed. So trying to get rid of that black and white thinking of what meal planning looks like, you know, it's all good on paper. And then as Krista shared, life happens and that it doesn't always take into account our pleasure, our enjoyment and flexibility. Hmm. Beautiful. Michelle, how about you? What's another myth of meal planning? Another myth of meal planning is that it's time consuming. You're spending oh, hours in the kitchen. Oh my goodness. You're ready to get out of there but that could not be further from the truth. Meal planning can be as simple or as complex as you like. Depending on your schedule, you may have time on the weekends to spend a little more time making that possible one a or making some other uh, special meal versus during the week, maybe you're gonna grab a smoothie or you're going to, to pre-prepare something in advance so that you're ready to go. But it doesn't have to take a lot of time you decide the ingredients, you decide the recipes, you make up your own recipe. That's sometimes the best thing, but it doesn't have to be a lot of time. You decide based on your schedule and you, it, the important thing is that you feel confident about it, that it doesn't stress you out, that it doesn't um, it, you know, take up all of your day. Beautiful. And I would add to that, um, yes, that you know, uh, very often we think it's complicated and time consuming and also uh, that it's prescriptive, that there is one right way and wrong, everything else is wrong, right? So um, especially coming from integrative nutrition where we emphasize bio-individuality, I always like to tell my clients, you got to find a way that works for you. And we're going to talk a lot about what those ways might look like. Um, so the next question sort of picks up where that one leaves off. And as we go through this question, I would love to know in the chat what you guys listening in have thought about meal planning in the past. Like, does it feel heavy? Does it feel complicated? Like any other things that you, were, you have thoughts about? What's your gut reaction when you heard meal planning? So the next question is what, if any, are the benefits of meal planning? And Lisa, you're up first for this one. Um, I truly believe that it saves time and money. It increases your pleasure, reduces your stress, and it can create connections with those around you and your family, as opposed to, as Krista shared, you know, like what's for dinner at five o'clock. If you have that conversation ahead of time, it can create connection. And even, you know, we're so concerned about teaching our children that, you know, it's an inconvenience for them to help us or that we feel bad. We're teaching them a life skill, have them get involved so that they can be part of that conversation. So it just is another way to connect with your kids and your family. Hmm, beautiful. All right, Michelle, you're up. What are the benefits of meal planning? A big one is that you have control over what you eat. Many times if we're picking something up from the convenience store or at a restaurant, we don't know what's in it. We may have ordered chicken, but what else is in there? In this case, when you plan, you decide what the ingredients are. And that helps you take into account things like food allergies or medical needs or just general preferences. But having control, you can control of course, the portion size, but also the quality. What is going to be the best thing to fuel your body? That would be the biggest benefit in my opinion. 
Great. All right. And I think the only thing I would add to that is that I, I think, uh, and, and Lisa sort of touched on this already, which, which is that you can think of it as in the long run, it's going to save you time and money and energy. And always, 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 it helps you to say, this is what's for dinner when somebody pops the question at 3.30 as they're getting into the minivan, <laughs> like the last thing you want to be thinking about. So um, the next thing we want to do is pause there. And I'm going to just really quickly go through some of the comments that you guys made in the audience uh, about your reaction to the word meal planning or words meal planning. So um, challenging and restrictive came up. Meal planning never works for me. I think I have it planned, but I hardly ever follow it. How do all four of us agree on a meal, let alone 21 meals? Yes, I <laughs> nailed it. Uh, don't mind the planning, find it helpful in a busy work week, but I have a super restricted picky eater. Oh yes, and it makes me crazy because she won't eat so many of the meals my husband and I will eat. That is a huge issue. And I love this because we're just about to hit the first place where we're gonna pause for your questions. And I think there's a question right, right in there that we can talk about. Um, and Danielle says, yes, I'm obsessed with meal planning. <laughs> Yay. Uh, Danielle has raised a very big blended family. And I know that she's had friends uh, turn to her and ask about meal planning. So I'm really, really thrilled that she'll be here. And I'm sure she's gonna be one of those audience members that really contributes a lot constructively in the chat. So Pay attention to what Danielle posts because she'll have some added things there. Maybe we should just bring her up and make her a panelist. <laughs> Margaret says, I often end up planning more than one meal for family members who do not like the main course. Yes, cooking more than one meal. Um, also, it does allow me to plan around activities, sports, etc. Yes, when you have busy kids, it makes for busy moms. Uh, I like to be able to plan around sports, but always have so much left over. Yes. Okay. So, um, I think I'm just going to sort of pull one question from there because it's not one of the ones that we had agreed to talk about ahead of time. And so we're going to just throw that out there to any of the panelists. And that is, what do you do when you have a so-called mixed diet family and or a very picky eater? Anybody want to take that? Go ahead, Lisa. I can start. A um, couple of things that I do is I will layer foods. So I'll use different spices. Like on, if I'm cooking vegetables on a sheet pan and somebody only likes salt and pepper, I will divide it and put salt and pepper here. And then I'll have a mix of spices that I have pre-made that I can just shake on um, that will give a different flavor palette to whatever I'm cooking. The other thing that I do that I highly recommend is that when you put food out on the table, that you don't discuss it, that you don't talk about it that you always have something that you know that your children are going to like, and then you cook whatever you like for you. And don't say, oh, you should taste this. Oh, it's good for you. Oh, it's this, it's, oh, it's that. It's the first line that somebody's gonna be like, no, I don't want anything to do with it. Always making something that you know that your kids or family are gonna like, and then add in things that you like. With time, it'll be amazing to discover what they will start to touch and look at. But plopping new foods onto their food is the fastest way to have a meltdown at six o'clock at night with kids. Um, so that's what I recommend and have seen work for me, my family, as well as my clients. Mm, I love that idea of doing one sheet pan, but then you're, you're uh, seasoning it differently and keeping it separate in just like within that one sheet pan. That's, that's really such a great suggestion. I've never actually thought about that 
that to that extent, uh, sort of personalizing it. I love that. Krista and Michelle, anything to add there? Um, I'd like to add the emotion and the interaction is key. Depending on the age of your child and their willingness to learn, invite them into the kitchen, help them to gear, even at a younger age, to understand food, to really help with food. There are things that, that even young children can do. Help them to get excited about what they're doing. Help them to pick their own food of what they're doing. And also that interaction. So you're getting that through inviting them into the kitchen and instilling that emotion, that excitement, whether it's in the kitchen or even at the table. Like, wow, hey, I made you that cheese tortellini. You love it. It's got four different kinds of cheese in it. Whoa. Just really talking it up among even whether just with your children or as a family or as a group, just really talk it up. And whether your picky eater is three, 13, 23 or more, <laughs> you can bring them into the food process and bring them and help them to have a positive food experience. Mm, love it. Krista, how about you? Suggestions for the mixed diet and picky eater families? No, I ultimately failed in this uh, area here. No, there's no such word as failure. <laughs> I have a I have a child who is absolutely um, the pickiest ever, and I have made Annie's mac and cheese for him. He is now 20. He's now in college, but what we're finding is that he, he, though he has expanded a little bit being in, in school, obviously, cause he, he doesn't want to starve. There definitely are some deep seated reasons why he chose to be stubborn and, you know, and has been, I think his, his initial stubbornness has created now this lifelong pattern of, well, now I don't eat now. I don't know what to eat or how to eat, you know? So even though my husband and I, and my other son, like we, you know, we cook a lot. My husband's a chef. Um, there's every reason why he, you know, could have been involved. And I think there, I think this is a really interesting subject and that, there's a lot of different layers to it. And so my mom said as a kid, well, you just have to, you know, just, just put it out, you know, he'll eat, he won't starve, but he was a strong willed, stubborn child and it was not easy. So I did the best I could. And now that he's 20, he's finally getting help for what that deep seated reason was. So mm, thank you for bringing that perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, a couple things I would add is I have a very funny story about picky eaters because my, my husband is Chinese, so our children are half Chinese. And when we were, when they were really little in Chicago, we would have uh, Chinese babysitters for them because we wanted them to speak Chinese before they spoke English. So we had these wonderful, you know, they were the parents of grad students or the parents or, or a spouse of a grad student. We had a, a huge sort of pool of wonderful babysitters. And you can imagine they bring these kids into their homes and what do these kids see? They see, oh, lunch involves three courses and it's hot. And, you know, <laughs> it's like totally unrealistic expectations. And I just remember my daughter going to preschool, coming home the first day, like, what was that? <laughs> what did they try to make me eat? But the funny part of the story is that when she was growing up, when, when, when she was really little and had these Chinese babysitters, her favorite food was, get this, 
simmered chicken livers, Chinese style, right? So one time we're in the grocery store and my, um, I, I was pushing her in the stroller and I'm like, okay, we're going to make chicken livers for dinner. And we, she's all excited. We go to the counter and there isn't any. And the guy behind the counter is like, oh, I just pulled the last one because they were, you know, the sell-by date was passed and we can't sell them. And I was just like, ah, darn it. And she started crying. <laughs> and a woman leans over her stroll and says, oh, honey, mommy won't buy you a cookie. And I'm like, no, mommy won't buy her chicken livers. <laughs> so, you know, picky, picky children are, are sort of can be a factor of their environment where like, this is what we have for lunch. We have simmered chicken livers and aren't they good, right? Um, but the things that I would add to um, sort of tactics for mixed diet and picky eater families is uh, number one, I call it belly up to the bar. The more things you can think of that involve the word bar other than wet bar, but um, you know, taco bar, nacho bar, burrito bar, just to cover the Mexican parts, uh, baked potato bar, uh, what other things do we have? Salad bar, uh, Buddha bowls, you know, anything you can think of that is made of up of components where you can offer some things that, you know, people will eat, you know, whether one person eats it or another person, somebody is going to want that. And, uh, the rest is, uh, there's a book called, uh, I think it's called devoured. Um, and it talks about this, this activity as chefing and, uh, Michelle touched on this, where if a child is involved, even from like the gardening perspective, they will tend to eat foods that they wouldn't normally eat if they hadn't grown them themselves. If they hadn't helped you to cook them, they wouldn't eat them. But the more you can involve kids in this sort of chefing adventure, even if it's just picking what is it you want on your taco. Now, obviously you're not gonna make a million different things. You're just gonna make a, a limited number of things, just keeping in mind that somebody will want this and somebody won't. Uh, and to that same end, if you're a meat, meat and two sides kind of family, we always looked at it as, I'm gonna make this protein, this vegetable and this starch. And most of everybody in the family will eat two out of those three things. The best piece of advice I got from a pediatrician when my kids were little was, think about it as a balanced week. Don't worry about a balanced meal. Think about a balanced week. So if one day my son didn't like the meat, but he liked the two sides, great. He didn't eat the meat. Not a problem. I wasn't going to make something else for him. He could make do with two thirds of what everybody else was eating. Same thing. You know, my daughter wouldn't want the starch. She would eat the vegetables and the, and the protein. So those are my two pieces of advice. Uh, Danielle says, raised five kids, blended family with all sorts of food related issues, developed some good strategies. Yes, Danielle, please share. <laughs> Feel free to just keep typing in the chat. <laughs> Well, I, I wrote a couple of notes because I understood all of this. And for me as a new bonus mom, it was hard at first because I don't have picky eaters. Two of the five kids are mine and they, my kids aren't picky. We never really gave them a choice. We didn't have any conversations about food. We put it in front of them and praise baby Jesus. They were great eaters. But then I got these three bonus kids. One was gluten, you know, gluten intolerant. And the other had really like texture issues. <clears throat> and it was really hard in the beginning. I would get frustrated, but I learned what you just said. Like if I make a meal that incorporates something that I think everybody will like, you know, one night he might eat only macaroni and cheese and not the chicken because he would gag on chicken, but the next night he would eat four slices of pizza. So I just, 
took that, that exact same approach that you just described. I, I took that approach with the kids. And then my kids were a little bit older when I started raising this blended family. They were like eight ranges, eight to 15. And I always had them pick a meal. So we planned out six meals a week. We always ate out as a treat one night a week. So each kid, there's five of them, got to pick a meal and I picked a meal. So at least one night a week, they felt like they were excited. They were to come home and eat their favorite thing. And then the best thing I ever did, there's always a backup option in my pantry and they were old enough to go make themselves some food. So if they wanted to have a healthy bowl of cereal or some other thing that we had agreed on was like an okay supplement or replacement for that meal, if you will not eat what's on the table or you're still hungry, you can go make that food in the pantry that we already agreed on, but I'm not making anything extra. Mm, I love that. Yes. Empowerment, not enablement, right? <laughs> That's a wonderful solution. Yeah. We had that rule uh, on occasion. Yeah. If you don't like this, make yourself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, make yourself something that's on the approved list of things that you know how to make. So that's great. Anybody else want to add anything? And I will encourage you to keep adding questions in the chat too. Is there anybody who has a question that we can address now or shall we move on? Okay, I'm gonna move on. Make sure that you drop your questions in the chat as they come up. Uh, next one is sort of also a speed round. So in you know 20 words or less. Now, <laughs> um, what's your take on meal kits? And uh, so we're talking like Green Chef, Blue Apron, et cetera. I'm gonna go first and I'm just gonna say meal kits, five out of 10. I love what they do for people who don't cook. I don't see them as a sustainable long-term option. And I really dislike the environmental impact that a lot of them have. So that's my take on meal kits. And next is Michelle. Thanks, Lisa. I think meal kits are a great introduction to food and cooking but they should be used as a gateway to build your cooking skills and to become self-sufficient. Yes, meal kits are great. You can explore different cuisines. They've got pretty much any cuisine on the market, on the, the world you can get through a meal kit. And they're super helpful in that regard, but meal planning is really minimal. You open the kit, it's everything sliced and diced and ready for you. And as Emeril Lagasse says, bam, you've got a <laughs> meal in 30 minutes or less. And, and that might be great, but meal planning is part of the food experience. And it sparks creativity and innovation and really a sense of service to yourself and those with whom you cook. So planning new or favorite dishes or whatever your menu entails is part of developing those positive food experiences. So in that regard, meal kits can act as a springboard to help you to spark that creativity, to develop and create those really realistic goals for yourself in terms of fueling your body, and be able to have those, the quality food that you and your body need and be able to do that in a timely manner. Meal kits are a great introduction, but it's up to you to really take off and use it kind of as a diving board, so to speak, and, and move into other areas to build your skills. I love that. It's like the gateway drug for cooking. <laughs> well put, gateway springboard, yes. Completely, I love that. Uh, Krista, your take on meal kits. So I tried HelloFresh. 
Um, and I found the quality of food to not be what I was looking for. And there was a lot of plastic and wrappers and they have to do that because if you need a teaspoon of soy sauce, they're going to give you a little packet of soy sauce. So every single, I mean, the benefit is that everything you need for a recipe is contained and, and delivered. You have everything that you need. Um, however, I did not like the quality. That being said, it is way better than going through the Burger King drive-through. Um, and my last point with meal kits is just that there are some really good um, meal plan or meal kits that you can get that do have, there's a lot now that are out with organic ingredients there. Um, there are some plant-based ones there are, you know, there, if I were to order meal kits again, I would definitely do my research and find some of the better ones. But again, it's way better than going through the drive-through. Yes. Good answer. Good answer. Lisa, how about you? Your take on meal kits? Um, I definitely agree with the plastic and the environmental factor. The question that I would ask is to get curious. What is it that you need or what is that meal kit going to provide for you? Is it that you, you know, where are you getting stumped? Is it about the planning? Is it about the prepping? Is it about time? Understanding the purpose of the meal kit so that you know why you're choosing it and when is the best time to use it and to find one that is within your budget, the amount of time that you wanna spend. What is important to you in terms of nutrition? You, you know, with so many different options, I do think that there is probably a kit out there that will fit somebody's needs. And I view everything on a spectrum and what is going to be working, what is best for you at that moment in time. And it doesn't mean that you're committed to it and that it's a lifetime thing, that there might be, it might work for a season, it might work for a few weeks, that removing the judgment and saying that any food on the table is better than the stress and the anxiety in the pit if it gets food on the table. So no black or white on that one. Absolutely, yeah, I love that we all, we all have like, well, here are the pros and here are the cons. And it sounds like, the one thing we can really agree on is they're a great gateway, they can serve a purpose, and they're not necessarily empowering you going forward. They're sort of, you will not learn how to meal plan using a meal kit, you will stay forever enabled, like you will, you will need someone else to tell you what to make and how much to make and how to do it. So it's all about empowerment from our perspective, and they don't quite fit the bill on that scale. So actually, though, I'm going to interrupt on that one mm -hmm. and that I do personally think that that can be part of your meal planning, that any any type of saying that I'm going to do this on this time or having it available is part of meal planning. How do we get out of the judgment of this is the only way to meal plan and you might do it different ways on different times and different days. So kind yeah. of another oh, I, li I like that perspective. Yes. So they are a form of meal planning because it happens to be what is right for you that week or that day. So in that sense, yes, you know that there will be days that you might need that. Um, we had some great comments in the chat. Um, Amy says they are more time consuming than they say and they cost too much. And Danielle had another comment uh, saying that her daughter's a freshman in college and lives alone in an apartment. And uh, they set her up with HelloFresh for a year. And with that agreement, she with the agreement that she would keep those recipe cards. And that's where I was, <laughs> hello puppy. It's quiet, that's all that matters. <laughs> that's where I was gonna go with that, which, which is 
they can also become a gateway because you can do all this exploring and like Michelle said, and recognize, oh, I like this recipe. How could I make it part of my repertoire without using the service, right? You have the recipe card, you, nothing's stopping you from using that as part of your meal plan for that week. You will have to chop and measure and it can become another sort of gateway. So Danielle has shared something in the chat and I don't know what it is, but I'm excited. <laughs> oh, I, it was just a picture of the food she recently made. Oh, yeah. All I right, so everybody I, check out the picture. I just also wanted to say about learning to, learning to prep and plan. <clears throat> Oftentimes college students on a limited budget either will buy the wrong food or they won't go shopping at all and plan for a meal because either it's overwhelming or they don't know how to buy the right foods on their budget. So our thought was we're getting her good food on this budget. And guess what? The food shows up at her doorstep and it's fresh and it's food that she has to make and eat so that it doesn't go to waste. So she's more likely to plan for that meal and eat the food that mom and dad sent to her house <laughs> versus, you know, live off of, I don't know, cheese and crackers and Diet Coke. Yep. I don't know, but she's a healthy eater, but I just, it helped her plan, I think, and be more conscientious that. about that. Yeah. And then so they, she had everything she needed too, because I mean, it literally comes with everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Uh, Amy also says I've saved many recipes, trying various meal kits. That's, that's exactly what it's about. You know, it's, it's a great way to explore and then make it your own. Um, any other questions? Let's see, Kathy Loomis, meal planning is stressful. Can't think of enough things to make without looking up all the recipes. Yes, that's where it becomes time consuming where you're like, oh, that means I need to sit down. I need to look at all these recipes. I need to make a grocery list. I need to go to the store. I need to store this stuff. I need to prep this stuff. And then it just feels like, oh, that's a lot. So we're gonna keep going. And I'm sure that there will be some, some pointers in here that will help with that overwhelm. So the next question is, how do, you, how do you approach meal planning or not with your clients? We all serve in a coaching capacity, more or less. So uh, how do we approach meal planning or not with our clients? And it can include, uh, what is your system? Lisa already mentioned that she has a system that she has a, an acronym for and everything. I think it's four P's, right? Um, and you know, do we use it ourselves? How do we use it ourselves? And how do we teach it to our clients? So. Michelle, why don't you start off? Thank you so much, Lisa. Okay, the goal of meal planning is to get fuel into your body. So with that, remember two things, motivation and execution. First, let's tackle motivation. First, that's the why behind what you're doing. I love what organizational psychologist Benjamin Hardy talks about when he says, when you understand the why, you can plan the how. You figure out, why am I doing this? And we just talked about several different benefits of meal planning, saving time, saving money, controlling what you eat. Think about why am I meal planning? Why do I want to prepare a meal for myself or for my family? What's that motivation behind that? And then there are several things to take into consideration. I use six different areas that I call the six principles of positive food experiences. And they are food itself, whether your own preferences, the preferences of those with whom you eat, are there any food allergies? Are there any medical needs? People, utilizing people, what is the influence? Who Are you cooking for yourself? Or are you cooking for a big family, a small family, or something in between? 
Are you having a dinner guest that week? That's also something to consider. The environment is where you're eating. Are you going to sit down at the table at your home for a meal? Maybe. Are you working late at night and just eating at your desk? Maybe. Did you just stuff something in your mouth on the way to this webinar? Mm -hmm. Maybe. <laughs> but taking that into consideration, your knowledge base, not only the level of cooking skills you currently have, but what, you, what do you want to do? What do you want to explore? What cuisines or, or equipment or talents that you want to develop? Looking at that and seeing how can I integrate that? Maybe not every day, but sprinkling that into my week or my month. Also the interaction with food. The whole key of meal planning, a big key anyway, is to develop that relationship between you and the food. When somebody hands you a burger through a drive-through window, let me tell you, there's not a lot of interaction going on right there, other than eating the food. But interaction, meaning plan, look at what you're eating, look at how I can get in touch with the food, how that's helping my body, how that's helping my, in the case of our, our areas of bio-individuality, what's my unique situation? And then goal setting, motivation, looking at what goals, what am I trying to achieve? What, what uh, bang am I trying to get? Am I trying to really impress some dinner guests? Maybe. Or am I trying to just feed a lot of hungry teenagers on the way to an activity? Then taking those things into consideration, let's look at the second one, which is execution. How are we going to do that? In so, a few words, write the food down, write everything, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, everything that you and those with whom you cook and eat, eat, take that into consideration. Write down everything, look at, there may be some things you have on hand already, some basic staples that we'll talk about later in this webinar. But there may also be things that you need to purchase. Then look at where you're purchasing it. I like to have that on my phone. And basically, I kind of color code or make some kind of mark where, okay, I need these ingredients from this store. And then I can be a little more strategic about it rather than just randomly getting ingredients. And there, then there's, you can always use grocery delivery. Most, if not all grocery stores have some type of grocery delivery, or you can do online like Amazon or some other area, but make things easier for you. Getting food into your body, fueling that. How can I do that? Just thinking about that. And then utilizing, once you understand that process, you can utilize some tips and tricks. For example, we talked about leftovers earlier. I always make, whenever I plan and cook a new meal, I always make sure I have it, things for it, enough for at least two meals, if not more, depending on the situation. If it was good enough for that first time, then it's good enough to reheat and have those leftovers. There are also websites that you can have uh, things and recipes and ideas straight to your inbox. 
to make things easier so you're not having to spend that extra time. There are also meal planning apps such as Big Oven, Pepper Plate, and Meal Planner available for you to, to utilize. But think about what works for you and what is gonna help you the best to nourish your body, but also not spend those hours in the kitchen. Beautiful. All right, Krista, you're next. That's tough to follow. That I know, that's a hard act to follow. Tough. We should have put her at the end, right? <laughs> Those were some fabulous. We're just going to be filling in now. <laughs> okay. How do I approach meal planning? So my clients are taking a food sensitivity test. My clients are taking a metabolic typing test. Um, and my clients are also transitioning into healthier lifestyle. And so often when the results come back from these tests, they think, oh my gosh, I can't eat anything, but really there's a lot that they still can eat. And so what I do is I put together a meal plan. Sometimes it's a meal plan, a breakfast, lunch, and dinner ideas, or sometimes it's just a recipe book with some breakfast, lunch, and dinner recipes. But these are all recipes that contain the foods that would still be on their yes um, list. And so we're not counting calories. Um, we're talking just about specific foods and all of a sudden when they see the recipes, they're like, oh, I can do this. And so for me using meal planning with my clients, it's like the implementation part. It's the, okay, I got this. I can keep going this. I can do this, um, for myself. This was interesting, an interesting question thinking about meal planning. Initially, I thought, do I meal plan? No, I don't meal plan. And then Lisa was talking in one of our previous um, meetings, and she said, if you're buying groceries at the store, you're meal planning. And I thought, sure, that's very true. When I go to the grocery store, there are certain staples that I'm always buying. So I always can make you know, a certain rotation of food um, that, that I know that I'm familiar with. That being said, my husband is a chef and most people think, oh my gosh, that's awesome. He must cook at home. Well, yeah, but he's never home. So <laughs> most of the time for dinner, um, for most meals, it's just me. And so I'm not meal planning per se that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I'm going to have these specific foods, but yes, I'm absolutely meal planning in the sense that I know for my body, what, what foods, um, are better for me. And so those are the foods that I'm buying at the store to make something that week. Um, and my husband is a, is a meat eater where I, I do eat meat, but I tend to eat a little more vegetarian. Um, and so on the nights when he's not home, it's great. Cause I can play around with more vegetarian recipes. And then when I know he's going to be home, you know, of course I'm planning, um, to make a meal that, that he would be more interested in. So that's how I use meal planning. Great. Lisa, you're up. So I am a former caterer and meal planning. I used to be able to, you know, I used to plan meals for 300 people. So I'm very strategic in my personal meal planning. And my best thing that I go to that I really recommend to my clients is an app called Plan to Eat. And 
it will save so much time and money. And it doesn't have to be rigid and it doesn't have to be structured because I'm working with clients, helping them get out of diet culture and the rigidity of eating where they have been told to eat this for breakfast, this for lunch, this for dinner, do not eat this, do not eat that. I'm trying to incorporate freedom and permission to eat all foods within my clients. So I don't ever tell anybody what to eat. I help them discover what foods they like to eat, what foods are going to give them satisfaction. I also talk about time management because I'm going back to my four Ps, which was plan, prep, provision, and protect. Where, where is your time? What, what do you have to do on this day? What is non-negotiable? What's negotiable? So that we can find windows of time where you can set aside that planning time period. Also using that time management, when can you prep? When can you get to the store? How are you getting your groceries into your house? And it's all based on curiosity and trying to discover what's working. And when there's a challenge, let's discover where that challenge is so that we can take that step back to help them move forward. So I'm a big believer of flexibility, balance, variety, pleasure, and simplicity. And you know, it's easy when we're talking about food to have a lot of judgment of this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong. Taking away that judgment of, you know what, if you have Cocoa Krispies for breakfast, so what? How did it make you feel? Is that something that you wanna to continue to do? Is it something that you're gonna eat once a week? And, you know, going back to what um, you had said earlier was, you know, your pediatrician said, it's not about what you eat in one day, it's what you eat over a period of time. So I'm a big believer of, yes, let's find a few meals, let's get those on the calendar, let's start simple, because if you're not meal planning at all, let's start with one meal that you can start to get on the table, because if somebody tells you to start to plan for a week at a time, your eyes are going to glaze over and say, you know what, I'm kind of done here. Like it, it doesn't work because that doesn't work. What is the simplest meal that we can start with that you can start to plan for? Um, something else that I really find important is to find things that are going to match your skill level. If all you know how to do is boil chicken, let's start there and build your skill set from that space up. How can we enhance that meal? Totally agree with everybody that always, always, always cook for leftovers. Um, when the pandemic hit and everybody was, you know, what are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? You know, and I'm I prefer more plant-based meals. So it's not as if I could stick, you know, three steaks in the freezer and say, it's going to be fine. I go to, my go-to is lots of soups that have a different variety so that I always, you know, I bought all these vegetables and I bought all of these things and beans and lentils. And I just, I just batch cooked. Here is, if I'm making a soup or a stew or a chili, I would double or triple that recipe, put it in containers, stick it in my freezer. And that is always part of my meal planning that on the nights that I'm tired, I'm working until nine o'clock, I'm alone, whatever it is, there is always something that I can take out that is going to be in my mind satisfying for me. What are those satisfying meals for you? What are your go-tos? Find a couple of basics. There's nothing wrong with rinse and repeat. 
Um, so it's all Beautiful. about discovering what works best for you. Oh, love that. Love all of that. All of the above. And um, I just want to comment that we are at 1255 and our plan is to go until 1.30. I recognize that a lot of people are on this during their lunch hour. So yes, we are recording. You will get the recording. We hope that you can stick around and hear the rest of this. And we understand if you can't. Um, so to what all of these wonderful panelists have said, I would add the following. Um, I do teach a meal planning system, and I usually shock my clients by first showing them what it looks like if I were to write down my meal plan for the week, because when my husband and I got married, um, he's from China, and my mom is Russian, my grandmother lived with us, so I grew up in a sort of non-traditional family, not a, not a strictly American <laughs> kind of family, so here I had two families that were not used to eating out a lot, not a lot of processed food. Um, so we committed really early on to cooking from scratch as much as possible. And uh, we really provided our kids with hot breakfast that was rare that they would have cold cereal. Um, so we just committed early on to making that happen. And we just naturally fell into a system. So what I show my clients when we start talking about meal planning is seven days, three meals a day, what it looks like. But what I tell them is, I do not sit down and write this out. This happens to be the way we fell into it. But you can see on this chart that everything on this chart shows up more than once. So my favorite example is if I make roasted chicken and broccoli and brown rice on one night, you can bet that I'm making two chickens, twice the broccoli I need and twice the brown rice I need because later in the week, I can do something with that extra chicken. I can make a casserole with the brown rice, or I can make hot cereal for, from the brown rice. I can put that broccoli into a soup. So as you can see, there's when you look at that chart, it's kind of cool because I bold everything that shows up more than once. And you can sort of draw a line from, oh, chicken is here and chicken is here and chicken is here and broccoli's here. Oh, and who's here? It's here too. <laughs> so I do a lot of that kind of work, but not all at once. So I also start with, where are you now? How many meals can you create that are related to each other? So the way I do that is through four steps. The first one is learning to pre-prep. So learning to chop all the vegetables you need for the week or you know, wash and spin your salad greens for the week. A lot of times it has to do with teaching people how long food will last in the refrigerator because a lot of people don't know. A lot of people are very deceived by how long food will last and they think it has to be thrown out after 24 hours. So learning how to pre-prep, what can be made ahead of time, what dry ingredients can be mixed ahead of time. So for example, you think about going out and buying Bisquick, highly processed, you can make your own Bisquick at home in big batches, put it in separate bags, and then all you do is add the liquid ingredients. So little tricks like that for pre-prep. I do something called building blocks and basics, which is if I'm making tomato sauce at some point during this week, I need marinara, I make three batches. I make three batches of white sauce when I make white sauce. I make three batches of stock when I make stock. And that way you can always be rotating stuff through by using your freezer. And I don't make all those at once. I don't sit down and say, okay, I'm gonna spend all Saturday cooking. But if I can make three batches of marinara sauce while I chop up my vegetables for the week, I've done a lot of food prep and it's none, none of it is particularly difficult or time consuming. The next step I teach is plan overs, which is exactly what, a few of you have talked about, which is always make more than you need because you can use it sometime later in the week. And the last part is friending your freezer, like really understanding how to use your freezer to the maximum potential that it has. One is doing what Lisa was saying, which is 
make three batches of chili and freeze two of them. Then you always have something completed, ready to go. You can just reheat, right? Another way to use it is those two extra batches of marinara sauce that I made. I can definitely put them in the freezer and use them later that month. Um, so just as I said at the beginning, my, my philosophy of meal planning is always cook for more than one meal. Every time you're cooking, you think, if I make extra of this, what can I do with it later? So then it becomes more a matter of, I can have this today and I can have that tomorrow. And then you get really good at that. And you're like, oh, then I could do three days in a row. And then you can do four days and five days. So that was the way that my husband and I kind of figured out, wow, you know, we really can cook 21 meals a week from scratch and not spend our lives in the kitchen. And I've seen some really great comments coming through. So Lisa says menu mapping. Yes, exactly. It's like creating a map. Like how are all these recipes and right. days related? So I build like, here's my core thing. Like if I'm making chicken, it can go into chicken tacos. Or if I wrote it's, you know, quinoa, I can put it into a Mediterranean quinoa salad. I can put it into an eggplant with quinoa and tomatoes. Every, and I will just like similar to you is I will prep all of those things at one time. So if I know that I'm having onions on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I will pre-prep it and do it all at one time so that it just saves time. Efficiency is huge. Yep. And starting out small, just thinking, okay, if I'm using this today, how can I use it tomorrow? Don't think about four or five other meals ahead. Just, Correct. just keep yes. it really simple because that's when you start to shut down. Um, so yep. there's, there's very, you know, in our house, there's so little waste because everything gets repurposed. There's always an underlying path that that food item that's been made is going to be used and woven throughout the rest of the week. Yep. More yeah. things can be frozen than you think. Like yes. Quinoa, I, you know, it was mind blowing to me that you could free, like, I never knew you could freeze grains. And then I went to Trader Joe's once. I'm like, what's this cooked brown rice in the freezer? Oh, that was a big aha moment. Like, Hey, I could do that at home. I don't need to buy there. <laughs> yeah, when the pan yeah. When the pandemic hit, because I would never freeze like fish. I was like, Oh, I need it fresh. And I, you know, when that started, I was like, you know what, I'm buying fish and it's going to last me two weeks at a time. And in the freezer it went Yep. and it has for, I, you know, I'm a pretty picky eater and not picky in what I like to eat, but picky in quality and what I'm choosing to eat. I am now, I go to the grocery store probably twice a week. I mean, twice every two weeks, I go as little as possible. And Lisa, how really do you wrap your fish for the freezer? I just, however, it's been wrapped and I take it I home because it. I'm using it within a few weeks. Mm -hmm. um, stasher bags are amazing. I don't know if anybody has ever heard of those. You can freeze in them, you can defrost in them. So instead of taking, cause I will typically to defrost a piece of fish or a piece of meat, I will put it into a stasher bag in a bag of um, cold water, um, in a bowl of cold water. And that way I'm not throwing out a new plastic bag every time I want to defrost something because it, and it does it pretty quickly. Are they Ideally, silicone bags? Are they, they like- do. They're silicone, yes. they can yes. go into the dishwasher. They come in all sorts of colors and sizes, whatever yes. floats your boat, but they have been the best thing for um, defrosting, freezing, snacking, all different things. So highly, highly recommend stasher bags. Mm, love that. Yes. Forgot to mention that, that another thing we, we think about a lot as, as people who teach food prep is like the sustainability of it, the environmental impact of it. 
can be really huge. You can do it really, really well, or you can be, you know, I think Lisa and I talked about this in our podcast episode that we were both in catering and realized like, oh my God, so much waste. <laughs> like it was one of the reasons I just could not wait to get out of that business. <laughs> so um, anybody from the audience have questions that they want to ask? Danielle made the comment that she cooks two times a week for six dinners and lunches. That's amazing. And having become a complete empty nester, yeah, I, eventually I'm going to wipe this smile out my face, but <laughs> having become an empty nester, I will tell you that I have cooked on Sundays and it's lasted one to two weeks, which is great. <laughs> and I mean, I, I just, I cook foods that happen to have a lot of variety of vegetables in them. And so I know I'm not suffering nutritionally from eating the same thing day after day, because there's such a variety between the two dishes that I make. But yes, it is possible to do that. And it gets a whole lot easier when nobody else is involved. <laughs> so any other questions? All right, we're going to keep going. Um, the next question is somewhat of a speed round also. Name one to three staples that you keep on hand at all times. All right, and I'm gonna make this one quick because we have more questions to cover. Speed round, one to three staples you keep on hand at all times. Krista. Uh, my number one is frozen organic broccoli because it can be boiled, baked, and it can be thrown in the air fryer from frozen. Um, I love a big bag of frozen organic broccoli. My number two would be or, uh, almond butter. And number three is organic brown rice pasta. Mm, excellent, all right, Michelle. My three are dried grains like quinoa, farro, and a host of different rices, basmati, wild, etc. Dried beans, garbanzos, lentils, and black beans are the most popular in our house. And then broth. I keep on hand uh, both, well, vegetable and beef and chicken, depending on what I have going on. That gives me that flexibility among all of those to you know, put a quinoa salad together quick, or, you know, do a, a variety of different things. But to me, those are the, the three staples that really drive the train. Great. Lisa. I definitely agree with uh, Michelle. Those were definitely tops on my list. Um, what I would probably add to that are eggs and my own storage of homemade soups that I have enough that will typically last me from October until August. Like I just batch cook and that is my that those are definitely high one of my staples mm, excellent all right i'm with michelle also on the beans and grains for sure and um i would agree with lisa on the eggs i always have eggs in my refrigerator and my third one because i'm a kale pusher i always have some form of dark leafy green always 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 I'm not sure that counts as a staple because it's fresh food but it pretty much is a staple at my house so all right, next question. What makes a meal a satisfying experience? All right, Lisa, you're up first. Um, this goes back to really how I work with my clients on the practice of intuitive eating. And really it's understanding your hunger, eating, you know, learning to honor your hunger, removing diet voices when you are eating, uh, making peace with food, the company, your surroundings, your environment, being present with your food, and ultimately understanding how to be satisfied with what you're eating. Because if you're not satisfied with what you're eating, you're going to keep going back for more of something. So if you're craving something, go for it, because eventually you're going to get there anyway. 
you're going to have a little bit of this, you're going to have a little bit of that, but that, that little voice is still going, I want that. So how do you discover your satisfaction? Uh, mindful eating, being aware, using all of your senses when you are eating, being present. What does it taste like? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Just really becoming embodied with your food and discovering ultimately what satisfies you. So coming with it from curiosity, because if you're not satisfied, instead of saying, I'm not satisfied, flip it and say, what would make me satisfied? What, what else do I need? Or what do I need to shift to make this meal more enjoyable? So Beautiful. My... Love it. Michelle? Thank you, Lisa. What makes a meal a satisfying experience to me is the relationship that forms among yourself and the food and the environment. I love the quote from um, food, food historian, <laughs> Laura Shapiro, when she says, eating the food cooked by your own hand from your own family and traditions are what constitute the emotional life with food. And to me, that emotional life with food is one of the hallmarks of a positive food experience. And the food experience is about that human connection. It's about giving, it's about that relationship. So, so the sense of food, for example, and fun and enjoyment permeates the air just as much as when you walk in the door and you smell pasta cookies or you smell a batch of cookies or other foods. You have those memories and you have that connection and you have those experiences that help to bring that, that joy of food, so to speak. Mm. So what makes a meal a satisfying experience is overarchingly that something that motivates you to be the best version of yourself. Mm, that's good. Krista. So I went with the literal meaning of satisfying to answer this question. Um, and so each of our bodies are all completely different, right? What you need, what I need, what everybody else here needs is, is, can be different. And so between protein, fats, and carbs, um, sometimes people need more carbs. Sometimes people need more protein and it can be day to day. It could be, you know, it, it's not, I'm not labeling it. It's just, these are the types of foods that we typically eat. And so I know for myself, if I eat a meat and two vegetables, a half an hour later, I'm going to be thinking about that rice, or I'm going to be thinking about a cracker, or is there popcorn in the um, cabinet? Because my body tends to want more carbs. And that though other people do great with no carbs and, you know, more meat. Um, and so it, I go with Lisa with like the mindful eating and the, you know, how are you feeling? What do you, what does your body want? Um, and giving yourself a little bit more of what, what you want so that after you're done eating, you're not craving other things. Wonderful. Great. So um, I would add that I'm, I'm one of these people that my clients can't really relate to initially, which is, you know, they're like, oh, for a lot of people, cooking is overwhelming. They don't like to do it. For me, it's really a spiritual practice. And I really geek out over um, food energetics, which comes mainly from traditional Chinese medicine, but I've added some layers to it. So for me, really connecting on a spiritual energetic level with the food, not in the sense of obsession or anything like that, emotional eating, no. What I mean is 
really thinking about when I'm cooking, I'm thinking about the food, I'm looking at the food, I'm thinking about how it got to my kitchen and how I'm going to feed it to my family and it's going to nourish them. And, you know, the fact that I bought this food, did it support the farmers who grew it in a, a really healthful way? Is it good for the environment? So for me, a, a really satisfying meal starts with a really intimate connection to the whole food web that it came from. Um, and I got a direct message from Danielle who says she has to hop off, but um, she did bring her weekly meal planner and she would take a few minutes to share. So I would love Danielle, go ahead and share. Let me just preface by saying before I got remarried and had these five kids, I didn't cook at all. I was young and my first husband was a, he cooked all the time and I traveled. So I had no practice. So some of what I learned, I learned out of like necessity because I had to survive raising five teenagers. Like I was in over <laughs> It was my a head. matter of survival. <laughs> it was a matter of survival. Um, and I live on Pinterest. I, I'm obsessed with Pinterest. So I'll show you the beginning of it because uh, when all the kids were home, I did more planning than I have to do now. So I don't know if you can see this, but that's each week, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? I literally just bought a little calendar at like TJ Maxx and um, divided each day into columns so that I had breakfast, lunch, and dinner because uh, that's what we were doing with all those kids. Now it's just each day. And what I do is I look in my pantry first to see what kinds of things do I have that I could make a meal with either in the pantry or the freezer. And then I think about what are we doing that week? Do we have dinners out? Um, do I have any after hours meetings that I'm going to go to that I'd like to leave a meal at home for the family to throw in the oven? Um, is it like a football game? Do I want to have chili on a Saturday? I think about like what we're doing that week. And then I start plunking in the meals and I usually do it in pencil so that I can like go back and change things around. And then I make my grocery list next to the meal. So here I, I decide what I need for fajitas or tacos. And I look at my pantry for what I already have. And then I make a list of what I need. And this goes to the grocery store with me. And then down at the bottom of the week, I put all the other things that I might want to grab up miscellaneous stuff that I don't have. Um, and I also change things around, you know, life happens and you might ch change a meal. Um, and this always is on my counter next to my stove where my cookbook stand is. So everybody always knows what we're having, when I'm going to be gone, what they can expect, if it's in the freezer, if it's in the fridge. And I really do cook twice a week. When I say cook, I mean like spend a ton of time in the kitchen. Like I will pull stuff out and warm it up or grill the meat, but I'm really only food prepping twice, maybe three times a week on a bad week. So Mm, that's beautiful. That, that and it works for me. And, it, and it's not complex. This is literally just a calendar from the store that yes. I write in. It's, so, it's simple um, and it works for you. And I think there's some great ideas in there, Danielle. And what I want to also draw out there is that Danielle is making a very important point. Eating out is part of a meal plan. It can be part of a meal plan, right? A meal kit can be part of a meal plan. Frozen food from your freezer that you made before is part of a meal plan. So when you start thinking about meal planning in that sense, it's not like, oh my God, it's 21 meals completely from scratch every time I have to spend all the time in the kitchen. I think that's just such a great example of that. And, and the four of us had talked about this before, like that all counts, right? And when you look <laughs> at your week ahead and think about these are the special circumstances, you might be relieved like, oh, we're going out on Thursday. I don't have to meal plan about that and not feel guilty about it. Like 
that's part of your meal plan, right? So I thanks for sharing, Danielle. Yes. yes. <laughs> thanks yeah. for sharing and thanks for coming. I know you have thank to you. hop off. Yeah, All thank right. you for letting me join. I'll see you tomorrow. Absolutely. Yes, Bye-bye. absolutely. All right. So um, another quick speed round. Favorite herb. And since we probably all know the difference, herb and or spice. So you can give an herb, a spice, or one of each, because I couldn't decide. So I had to make that like (laughs) available to us. Krista. I'm so glad you said both. So my favorite (laughs) (laughs) spice is organic garlic powder. My favorite herb is organic parsley. Perfect. Michelle. My favorite herb is basil. I love the smell of fresh basil. (laughs) I could smell it a mile away, (laughs) but it just takes me, my mind on a journey. It's so good in Italian cooking, Thai cooking, wrapping it in a spring roll or other cuisines. I grow fresh basil in my Mm. garden, so it's easily Even your yard smells good. (laughs) (laughs) Why, thank you. And uh, they're easy to maintain. You've got a bounteous array of of basil there. Um, You know, and it's very flexible, whether it's sprinkling it on a pizza, doing a spring roll, maybe you're crushing it up in some cooking, even dried basil. I don't make my own dried, but dried ingredients are, are well- and work fantastically just the same to really enhance those those foods and it's so basil is my favorite go-to excellent got a spice favorite ah spice favorite i'd probably say garlic powder that's Mm. a a good go-to two votes for garlic powder (laughs) all right lisa (laughs) Uh, my go-to everything is better with garlic there is (laughs) We, garlic is just like another food group in our house. Yeah. Um, everything, everything. Antiviral, and antifungal, antibacterial. It is, it's good stuff. Um, if we absolutely. all smell the garlic, garlic we is healthier. <laughs> and then um, I would go between basil and thyme. I'm always like my go-tos. Mm. So I don't know that I could explain basil any better than Michelle did. So <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that because that was such a full embodied experience of basil. Um, so garlic and basil, they go great together. Yes. Good point. Yes. They go well together. Um, I'm going to go with cardamom for my spice. I absolutely Mm -hmm. adore cardamom and, uh, cilantro for my herb. And I'm, I'm definitely not a person who thinks it tastes like soap. So, (laughs) Uh all right. My husband can smell cilantro a mile away. He He loves it. Oh, he loves it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So a final sort of wrap up question before we have more questions from the audience, if we have any more, um, Lisa, there's a comment for you in the chat, if you want to address that. Um, Um, Okay. I tried Plantita, really liked it, but when my free trial ended, I couldn't get over the price. Well, it's a great time of year to be talking about that is that um, right around Thanksgiving, Black Friday, they run a special, and I believe it is about $20 for the year, and you can buy multiple years because I believe the price is $39, $40 for the year right now. I don't recall what it is offhand. Um, I buy several years at a time. I absolutely find that it is so worth it, in my opinion, if there's a way that you can do it. I just find that it just saves so much time and money in the long run that it, it actually pays for itself. Mm. Um, so if anybody is interested, I'd be happy to share more about that app um, later on, or you know, we're really running out of time. 
Um, so hopefully that helps Shari. Um, definitely look for the pricing around Black Friday because they run oh, a special. Good to know. I didn't know that people did that for apps too. So cool. Yeah. All right. Um, so a sort of a wrap up question for each of us, a little wisdom for the journey. Start here. What is your number one meal planning tip? All right. And you know what, for this one, I didn't even write down who's going first. So I'm just going to say, Krista, you go. Keep it simple. Pick <laughs> Pick a process and keep it simple. Even if you do it two days a week, yes. just, you know, stick with one thing and keep it simple. Love that. Yeah. Start with two days. Start with, start where you are. Yeah. If, it, if you're not meal. planning at all, start, start. If you're not cooking at all, start with one meal. If you're not planning at all, start with two meals mm -hmm. and then build, build from there. All right, Michelle. Plan strategically and account for contingencies. If something comes up, you can switch it around. I love Danielle's meal plan where she writes it in pencil. You don't know. It's, meal planning is not rigid. You, you can have as much flexibility as you want, but plan strategically so that you have those tools available. Meal planning is your key to transforming your life, to having healthy food into your body and being able to have that energy you need, regardless of whether you're transporting several teenagers from activity to activity, or you've got business meetings, or you have other things. But a little bit of meal planning goes a long way. Beautiful, Lisa. Um, I'm definitely amongst the keep it simple, even if it is thinking about, I like these proteins for the week, you don't have to do anything fancy. You don't need a recipe. Find a couple of proteins, find a couple of grains, find a couple of vegetables. That's meal planning. It doesn't have to be extensive, laborious. And if there is, you know, there is no judgment. If you don't like to cook, frozen vegetables work just fine. There, there is no just. Discovering what is simple, what is easy, what works for you. And when you get stuck, try to be curious and understand where you're getting stuck. Where, where's the barrier so that you can back up and dissect how to get through that challenge so that it becomes easy. Just keep breaking it down and finding somebody who can help you do that. Um, and meal planning also works with friends. If you have somebody who cooks something amazing and you cook something amazing, divide and conquer. There's so many different ways, get rid of the rigidity, get rid of the standard of it has to be this and give yourself flexibility, balance, and freedom. Love it. Um, I would add to that um, the idea of, of simplicity. One thing that I always ask my clients is how would it look if it were easy? And that can work for anybody. Because if you don't cook at all right now, how would it look if it were easy? Might be getting a meal kit. It might be just making a super simple dish. Um, if you're already cooking three nights a week, no problem. How would it look if it were easy? Well, maybe we could get up to four or five nights. So the question of how it looks easy, how, how would this feel easy is different based on where you are, but every single person can benefit from answering that because then you're not going to take on something impossible, which is I'm going to plan out 21 meals and make them all from the, from the get-go. So start where you are and keep asking yourself, how would this look if it were easy? All right. Questions from the audience, anybody? And, and you can address them to a specific panelist or all panelists, whatever you like. 
everybody. Got people hopping off. Thanks, Sherry. I would encourage the panelists as well. If you have any lingering curiosities about something somebody has said, um, let's ask each other questions. I think we Gosh. all kind of springboard all from the same, even though the, the end product might look a little, well, maybe the end product does look the same, but we all come from a different philosophy and that it's really discovering what works best for us and what client base and what their level of expertise or non-expertise is and how do we meet everybody where they're at to move them to a next step. Excellent. All right, well, I have a question for each of you. And that is, um, we have, we've been talking in a very general sense about what we do. Um, I would love to know from each one of you what you have coming up in the very near future that pe my, people might wanna hop onto. Michelle? Thank you. Well, as far as meal planning, we, um, we've got, are you referring to our, our little freebie thing? Yes, or and, and what, it doesn't have exactly? to be meal plan related. So just, okay. you know, what do you, what do you have coming up in your business that you're excited about that people might want to, might want to know about? Well, it, as far as the business, um, I, in addition to coaching, I am also the host of the Food Experience Unplugged podcast. We're going to be rolling out a premium membership for that. So in addition to uh, the great interviews that you all know and love, you have some a lot of additional perks and features, a lot of uh, kind of backstage type of information mm. that you can uh, you can subscribe to. So look for that coming up shortly. I and love that. <laughs> it reminds me of a friend who had a podcast that she interviewed women on it, and she always had this sort of premium. You, if you're a premium member, you get you get the extra interviews, which was like the after the interview or before the interview, and she called it "peek up the skirt." <laughs> <laughs> so you'll have it, some of those that's great yeah oh yes all right and what are you offering uh, as part of our resources as part of our resources i offer a free five-day email course to help you get clarity on your health goals and health goals including meal planning where even if you're just starting you're just uh doing meal kits for now well how do i gravitate toward you know exploring the wonderful world of cooking Perfect opportunity here. It's free. You explore to your heart's content. A lot of great resources there, a lot of great tools, and a lot of great connections. So I highly recommend, please sign up for it and, and get those resources under your belt. Great. And I'm also going to put in a plug for Michelle's um, LinkedIn profile. Uh, she has amazing, every day she has some kind of amazing graphic and, and little tip for health and not always meal planning related, but always health related. So one of the people that I religiously follow on LinkedIn, <laughs> Krista, how about you? What's, what are you excited about coming up and what are you offering? So I have um, today, my offering is a five belly trimming 30 minute meal plan. So it's a mouthful, but it's five dinners that you can make that will take the question of what's for dinner out of, out of the, or end the dilemma, I guess. Mm. Um, I do have a new freebie that's coming up probably in the next week or so, and it's three surprising metabolism saboteurs. 
So these are some things that you're probably not thinking about, but that really do affect your um, metabolism. So that if you grab the meal plan, you'll be on my list and then you'll, you'll get the, um, the new freebie that's coming soon too. Great. Thanks, Krista. And Lisa, how about you? What are you excited about and what are you offering today? Um, so I am excited that for those of you that are local to the uh, Massachusetts area that I am speaking at the Natural Living Expo in um, November 13th on Discover How to Find Your Food Freedom. Um, also coming up in January is my next Body Peace and Food Freedom six-month one-on-one small group coaching program, which dives into the practice of intuitive eating and body image, as well as sprinkled with bits and pieces of meal planning. And what I'm offering today is my meal plan um, bonus pack, which has a time management grid, which I referred to early on to help you find some snippets of time to help you start to meal plan. It has top kitchen essentials, as well as a staples list and um, an information on a free one month plan to eat um, trial period for the app that I was talking about. So it's a great time to take advantage of that. And I'm not an app person. I think it is the only app that I traditionally use. It's really <laughs> awesome. I love that. I'm so not an app person. It's just, it's just like coming from the catering world where I had to write out everything and using Excel spreadsheets so and done. days. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, all the hours I would have had back if I just had this app. Yes. And so that's great. That's, that's what I'm offering. And if anybody has any questions, I always offer a free discovery call and happy to help you explore what's next for you in terms of meal planning or the practice of intuitive and mindful eating. Excellent. All right. Um, my, my excitement is um, about two programs I'm launching. My signature group program that is really dealing with reversing and preventing burnout uh, starts October 1st. And uh, my emotional stewarding, emotional eating program uh, launches again on November 1st. So I'm excited about those two upcoming offerings. And uh, my offering for today's resources, which you will get as a, as a PDF with links, um, is a copy of the PDF version of the workbook that goes along with my cookbook, which is all about meal planning and talks about those four steps that I, that I mentioned are my system for always, always, always cooking for more than one meal at a time. And Kay Sheehan did have a question for us. So let's wrap up on this one, everybody. If you have another minute, what meal is your very favorite meal to prep that's healthy and freezer friendly? Michelle. <laughs> Oh, wow. Healthy and free. Oh, I would say I, my mom's turkey chili recipe. Yum. Super easy. I could do it with my eyes closed. You throw it in the crock pot and later in the day. Oh, you come <laughs> home. The smell is amazing, but so easy to prep. You've got, I have a lot of the ingredients already, but, and it's freezer friendly. If you've got, if you don't want to have it later in the week, you can put it in a, in a, your own freezer container and save it for another, maybe a winter, cold winter day when you have a nice bowl of chili or something. Excellent. Krista. I was going to say turkey meatballs. Ooh, nice. Yep. Along the same line. Lisa. 
I'm going with veggie chili, lots of beans, lots of vegetables. Um, absolutely one of my go-to staples that I always have in my freezer so that if we don't have food in the house, there's always food in the house. I love this. It seems like we're all suffering from like, oh gosh, it's cold out. It's chilly weather. <laughs> I'm going to go with lentil stew. Uh, yeah. So that, that would be mine easy because everything is, is basically added at once cooks. You don't have to pay attention to it while it cooks and off to the freezer it goes. And you can change the flavor profile in a million different ways by using different spices and herbs. So, all right. Well, thank you everybody. I want to honor your time. We're one minute over, but thank you everybody for being here. Uh, expect the replay as well as the uh, resource sheet to come to you. And as I said, we will not just be starting to mass email all of you because God knows you don't need that many new emails in your inbox, unless you do, in which case we encourage you to sign up for everybody's <laughs> Uh, and all of our contact information will be on that resource sheet. So thanks for being here. I hope it was helpful. Let's see, offers. Yes, Amy, offers will be in the email. There's going to be an attachment, a PDF attachment that has links, and there will be an, a, a Dropbox link for this replay. Fantastic. Thanks Thank you all. Thanks for listening. Please note that any suggestions provided on this show are not meant to replace medical advice, and the opinions of the guests on this show are their own. Simply Health Coaching and Elizabeth A. Baker LLC neither endorse nor take responsibility for statements made by guests. Let me know your thoughts about the episode and share your biggest takeaways and aha moments, and let me know who else you want to hear from on the topic of being well while doing good. You can send me a voice message directly through Anchor, as well as some of the other listening platforms. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe the podcast in your listening app so you never missed an episode. Love the podcast? You can support it with a donation directly from the podcast homepage in most listening apps. If you're interested in advertising on the podcast, send me an email or voice message. And if you'd like to know more about my work, please visit my website at simplyhealthcoaching.com. As always, the links are in the show notes.